Amen. Church, it is so good to be together, to sing these songs, to fix our eyes and our hearts on the Lord and to continue to bless his name. No matter where you've been this week, no matter what's going on in your lives, we can gather here and be reminded of who he is and he is so worthy of praise. Hey, I want to take just a brief moment and say thank you again to those who uh, volunteered during VBS, to Lauren, to her team. It was a tremendous week. It was an all-in church family effort, and uh, the Lord saw every bit of your love and sacrifice poured into these kids' hearts, and uh, we're trusting the Lord for the work that he's going to continue to do through that. So thank you for being such a faithful, serving, loving church family. Well, we are several weeks in here to our Shaped by the Psalms series. Uh, Pastor Michael has a couple more weeks left of sabbatical, and then he'll be back with us. And we are getting excited for Pastor Scott and his family as they get ready for their sabbatical, a time of resting and recharging for them. And uh, just so, so grateful for the team that we have here. Well, I want to begin uh, this morning as we turn our eyes now to God's word with this question, what do I do when I'm in the midst of suffering? What do I do when I'm in the midst of suffering? If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Psalm chapter 34. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the seat there in front of you. Would love for everyone to have God's word open on their lap so that we can hear his voice and see it in the text for ourselves. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. You're welcome to use the table of contents if you're not super familiar. Nobody will make fun of you if they do. Just lift up your elbow and jab it into their side real hard, okay? Uh, Psalm 34 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Here we encounter something that we have not encountered yet in our series through the Psalms. It's called a situational psalm. Uh, That is, here in the text, we are told about the circumstances that precipitated the writing of this psalm. If you're looking at Psalm 34 now, you might see a superscript, which is a tiny little number, the number one. It's before verse one, and it says this, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Uh, This is actually a part of the inspired text. That is, it is God-breathed, and so as we are considering the interpretation and application of this passage, it's important for us to also take this into account. Now, many of you may know David very well, but for those of us who don't, allow me to briefly acquaint you with him. Uh, In fact, 73 of the 150 Psalms are explicitly attributed to David and his writing. It's possible that he wrote other ones that don't identify him as the author, but almost half of what we have here in the Psalms is written by this man, David. Uh, David was a shepherd boy from an insignificant little town called Bethlehem. He was the youngest of eight brothers, and Jesse was his father. And one day, God speaks to Samuel the prophet, and he tells him to go to Jesse's house to find the next king of Israel. 
And so Jesse hears about this. <clears throat> he meets Samuel and they're invited to a feast together. And Jesse gathers all of his sons together except for David. No, David is left out in the fields. He's just a shepherd boy tending the sheep. He wouldn't have been invited to this special feast with the prophet Samuel. And so as Samuel sees each of Jesse's sons, the Lord says, nope, that's not the king. That's not the next one. That's not the next one. And all seven of them until he finally says, do you have any other kids? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got one, but he's out there somewhere. I guess I could call him in. And as soon as Samuel lays eyes on him, the Lord speaks to him and says, that's the one. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, at this time when David is being called up to be the king, he's a king in waiting because currently Saul is the king of Israel, but he's tormented by an evil spirit. He began to do that which was displeasing to the Lord, and so he was tormented by this evil spirit, and he seeks out somebody that can play some music for him to help calm his spirit. And lo and behold, who does he pick but David? taken from the fields and now into the king's palace to play music for the king gone mad. Next in David's story comes the story that probably all of us are familiar with, the story of David and Goliath. He hears about this giant of a Philistine who is roaring blasphemously against the God of Israel, and he says, this just won't do. Everybody's okay with this? Not okay, right? And so David grabs his slingshot and five stones. It only takes him one. He whizzes it, hits Goliath right in the head, knocks him down, kills him. And if that wasn't enough, he then goes over and pulls Goliath's sword out of his sheath and chops off the giant's head. Sorry, kids, if you're still in the room, right? Crazy story about David overcoming this massive Philistine who was calling out against the god of Israel. So Saul then appoints David, this new war hero, to be one of the generals, the captains in his army, and David has great success wherever he goes. As he's returning from his conquests, the people begin to praise David and talk about how he's done wonderful things for the nation of Israel, and this makes Saul jealous, angry, angry enough to kill. He spirals down into a jealous rage and he ends up throwing not one, but two spears at David. And the text says, trying to pin him to the wall. Jealous rage against David. Saul then moves David to various positions in the army where he should have been killed. And he even gives up one of his daughters in marriage, trying to make her a snare to David so that he would be killed by the Philistines. Now add to this a few more murderous attempts with the spear. Saul puts out a hit on David's life. And as Saul's people are waiting at night for David to arise in the morning and kill him, he hears about it, escapes through the window, and he is now a man on the run. In 1 Samuel 21, we learn that David eventually flees 
to the king of Gath, which, by the way, happens to be the very town where Goliath is from. David is still not the, post, the most popular guy in Gath, and yet he runs there because he has nowhere else to go. And that's what this is referring to here in Psalm 34 in the superscript. It's when he went to the king of Gath. And when he leaves from there, he finds himself in a cave. And in Psalm 142, verses one through five, we learn about David's emotional state. This is what Psalm 142, one through five says. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. Friends, let me pause right there. Perhaps you are in a season of life right now where you can identify with what David is saying there in Psalm 142. Perhaps it's a season where you are begging for mercy from God in such distress that you can feel your very spirit fainting within you. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you or a loved one received. Maybe it's something that one of your kids is going through right now and just watching them go through it brings heartache after heartache, either seeing them suffer or continue to choose sin. It's the kind of moment where you know the only thing that you can do is fall to your knees and cry out for mercy. Maybe a job loss or the loss of a loved one, whatever it may be, you are overcome by distress. And if it's not a season you're in now, perhaps it's one that you're coming out of or perhaps it's one that the Lord is preparing you for today. Or maybe it's just feeling like you're completely alone. Like David here in this psalm that says, I look to my right and there's no one. No one else who cares for my life that has any regard for me whatsoever. Hear me this morning, brother and sister. You are not alone. God has given you in his word comfort and help and hope. And by the power of the spirit living inside of you, he has given you his very self to be with you, to walk with you, come what may. The Lord sees you. He cares. And this morning he is speaking right to you, right in the midst of those circumstances, right in the midst of the pain and the suffering. The reality is, friends, this world is not our home. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And what we'll see in our passage in Psalm 34 today is that many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
This is not heaven on earth. We live in a sin-cursed, broken world that is full of sadness, hurt, pain, loss, and tragedy. But right here, the Lord is with us. So the question for us this morning, what do I, what do you, what must we do in the midst of suffering? Psalm 34, that's the background. That's where David finds himself even as he writes this psalm. Would you read with me? Psalm 34, verse one. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Father, we draw near to you. We ask, O God, that you would bring comfort and help and hope and peace. Our eyes are on you. In Christ's name, amen. We're gonna focus this morning on verses one through seven and then verses 15 through 22. What do we do when we're in the midst of suffering? Answer, I will bless the Lord. What do I do in the midst of suffering? I will bless the Lord. When the Bible says bless, it means to speak a good word into or over someone's life. It is a prayer of faith and it is 
speaking an exhortation or a praise about someone. When we're talking about the Lord, it is pure adoration. It is to bless him, to worship him, to give glory to his name, and to express gratitude unto him. And here, David, in the midst of his suffering, while he's on the run for his life, feeling like there's no one who cares for him in the world, makes this declaration. It is a settled desire to bless the Lord at all times. It is a resolve, a commitment to worship God, come what may. I will bless the Lord at all times. He says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. If blessing the Lord means speaking a good word about him, and the psalmist is committed to speaking a good word about the Lord at all times, then of course it follows that God's praise will continuously be pouring forth from his mouth. Friends, did you ever notice that we talk about what we think about? In fact, Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 12, saying that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you fill your mind with thoughts about how angry another person makes you, and if you meditate on how lazy they are, or you fill your mind with the repeating loop of all their failures, when it comes time to talk to them or about them, what do you think is gonna come forth from your mouth? It probably won't be praise. We talk about what we think about. Perhaps we're able to eke out some baseless niceties for a while, but you will not be able to stop your heart from pouring forth from your lips. The same is true in reverse. When we love something and we think about it, we can't help but speak about it. Anyone who knows Pastor Scott knows he loves the Atlanta Braves. You can't be around him for more than five minutes without knowing it because he loves them. He thinks about them. He watches them. So he loves to talk about them. Anyone who knows Pastor Michael, within five minutes, you know that he likes the Georgia Bulldogs. Bless his heart, right? We talk about what we think about. Friends, if we want God's praise to continuously be on our lips then we must fill our minds with glorious truth about the Lord. We must meditate on this truth. We must think about who he is, what he's done, and what he promises to do. And as we continue to delight in him, our hearts will explode, and then the praise naturally follows. Here's David running for his life. He's alone He's crushed in spirit and he declares, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Friends, I don't know what your life looks like right now. For some of you I do, but can I encourage you, no matter what, resolve by God's grace to bless the Lord at all times in the good and the bad. He continues in verse two. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. As soon as I hear my soul boasts in the Lord, I immediately think of Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. It's here on the screens. Thus says the Lord, 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Question, where do you go when life gets hard? In who or in what do you find your security? For this helps us determine what our souls boast in, where we find our confidence. Do you boast in your wisdom? When troubles come, when difficulty enters into your life, do you say, okay, I can just figure this out. If I have enough time and I can think hard enough about it, I got this, I can figure it out. Do you boast in your strength? Listen, with enough time, with enough hard work, I know I can get this done. I just have to put my nose to the grindstone and stay after it. Do you boast in your riches? Well, I'm never gonna have any issues. If I get into them, I've got enough money, everything will be okay. What do you boast in? That's where you find your confidence. As I'm sure most of you know, rap artist Snoop Dogg received his long-awaited star on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm sure you knew that, right? Uh, He wanted to thank some very special people, though, for his success, himself. And I quote, I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. Gotta love it. (laughs) Friends, this is what the world truly boasts in. This is what the world genuinely attributes success to. And do notice the self-dependency, the self-sufficiency, and the godless independence in these realities. No, the man of God, the woman of God, boasts in the Lord, boasts in the reality that he knows God, that she understands who God is and what God does. Would we be a people who boast in the Lord, recognizing that all our hope, all our strength, all our confidence is found in him and him alone. In verse three, there then becomes a a movement outward. Everything happening so far internally, blessing the Lord, his praise continuously on my mind and on my mouth. But in verse three, it becomes external and it's an invitation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What an opportunity we have in the midst of our suffering to point others to the Lord. The reality is when we're suffering, we have people's attention in a unique way. They are watching us to see how we'll respond. Can I encourage you, brother or sister, who is in the midst of affliction, don't waste your suffering. The Lord has graciously granted it unto you, as Paul says in Philippians, just as he has granted us to believe in Christ, so too has he granted us to suffer for his sake. The Lord is giving you this opportunity to point others to how good, to how beautiful, to invite others to magnify 
the Lord with you. And what does it mean to magnify the Lord? We can think about magnification in one of two ways, like a microscope that takes something that is incredibly small and magnifies it larger so that you can see it. We're not talking about that when we're talking about magnifying the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, not that. Some of you did it, okay? Not that, right? Uh, Instead, we're talking about what a telescope does. A telescope where there's something that's in the distance and it's teeny tiny from so far away. And it seems so small until you look through a telescope, but when you do, it magnifies it. It brings that beauty closer. It shows you the glory and the magnitude of what's always been there. Friends, this is what it means to magnify the Lord. We are not talking about someone with little glory, little majesty, and trying to make him appear more glorious. Rather, we're trying to help others see through the telescope of our lives the unimaginable glory, greatness, and beauty of God. Uh, This here on the screen is a picture of the night sky. It's beautiful, but in this sky are wonders that we would never know or see if not looking through the lens of a telescope. We wouldn't see the Crab Nebula at 6.5 thousand light years away. It's up there. We just can't see it. We wouldn't see the pillars of creation at 7,000 light years away. We wouldn't see Mystic Mountain at seven and a half thousand light years away. We wouldn't see the Bubble Nebula at 8,000 light years away. And let this one blow your mind. We wouldn't see Westerland 2 at 20,000 light years away. Brothers and sisters, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us point to how really and truly glorious and beautiful and amazing he is. Let's draw attention to his bigness, for our praise does not make God greater. It acknowledges that God is great. Let's commit to being a people by God's grace who act like a telescope to the world that cannot see the glory and beauty of God until we point them to it. What do we do in the midst of suffering? We bless the Lord at all times. I don't get caught up in just the circumstances, but instead I lift my eyes unto the hills and then further up and I'm reminded of how great God is, that he is the star breather and that he holds my life in his hands. I remember that he is the creator and sustainer over all and in all and that nothing escapes from his attention. I remember that his arm is never too short to act, that there is nothing that is hard for him, and that he is a God of infinite wisdom. I cling to his promise. Like in Romans 8, 28, that says that he'll work all things together for the good of those who love him. And in that passage in the Greek, all things means all things. 
that when the Lord says to us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, Christian, that the only thing you will experience from God's hand from the moment you turn from your sins and trust it in Jesus is mercy. Day after day after day in what we perceive as a blessing and what we experience as difficulty, only mercy from God. We cling to his promise in Hebrews 13, five that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Lord will never leave us on our own if we are his children. We cling to 1 Peter 5, 10, where it says this, and after you have suffered for a little while, God himself, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is what our faithful brothers and sisters have done throughout redemptive history. We see it most clearly in the life of Job. After losing his family and all his possessions, what does he say? The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at what David does in the midst of his suffering while he's on the run for his life. In verses four through seven, he says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Here's a quick snapshot of these verses, verses four through seven. First, there is me and there is God. You can see it here on the screens, I believe. There is me and there is God. Can you advance to the next one? There it is, thank you. Uh, me, I am identified as the poor man. And the Lord is identified as the deliverer, the savior, and the defender. Now look at what we do, the poor man, when we're in the midst of our suffering and difficulty, here's all we can do. We seek the Lord, we look to him, we cry out to the Lord, and we fear the Lord. Friends, that's all we can really do as the poor man, as the needy one, as the dependent one in this scenario. We seek him, we look to him, we cry out to him, and we fear him. And look at what he does. He answers me. He delivers me from fear. He makes me radiant. He hears me. He saves me. He encamps around me, and he delivers me. Friends, let's embrace being the poor man. Let's embrace being the one in this equation who simply looks to the Lord and cries out to the Lord and fears the Lord doing life as if he is who he says he is and he'll do all he promises to do. And then let's watch the Lord answer. Let's watch the Lord deliver us from fear, make us radiant as we become more like Jesus. Let's watch him save and deliver. Friends, this is why we are to be like the psalmist and not like Snoop Dogg. 
if I really am the poor man that can only look, seek, cry out, and fear, then I have nothing to boast in in myself. And if the Lord really is the deliverer, the savior, and the defender, then I know then we can do nothing but magnify him. When I'm in the midst of suffering, I will bless the Lord. Why? Because he's got me. I will bless the Lord because he's got me. Brother or sister in Christ, I want to encourage you this morning from the truth that we see here in God's word and spoken all throughout these pages. If you are in the midst of the most crushing and difficult circumstances and you look around and you feel like no one has any care or regard for your life, can I tell you this morning, the Lord's got you. He is upholding you with his righteous right hand and he will sustain you in the midst of your difficulty. If you skip to verses 15 through 22, we see it here. Again, David says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Yes, he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, for those who have been walking through this series with us for the past several weeks, you'll instantly see the two paths, the two destinations, the two ways that the Lord interacts with these people. But I don't want us to get distracted by that this morning. I want us to keep our focus on how the Lord cares for his children in the midst of suffering. So I want us to key in here. You can see some of the text fade and we're gonna key in on these verses and here's what we see. In the midst of our suffering, his eyes are toward you. The eyes of the Lord are toward you. He sees you. Whatever you're going through right now, brother or sister, the Lord sees his ears are open to your cry. That when you cry out to the Lord, your prayers do not stop at the ceiling and reverberate in the room that you're in, but they reach the very ears of heaven and God Almighty hears you. This passage tells us that he is near you. His promise to never leave you nor forsake you is true. The Lord is right there with you in the midst of it. He saves you, he keeps you, and he redeems you. He takes all of the hurt, all of the brokenness, all of the sadness, and he somehow uses it, he redeems it for his glory and for your in infinite and eternal joy. Friends, following Jesus is not a promise that God will keep you from suffering. 
No, if this passage confirms anything, it confirms that the righteous will have many afflictions. But here is what we do as followers of Christ. No matter what suffering we experience, no matter how hard life is, the Lord will be with us and he's got us. Charles Spurgeon said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages and Gloria Furman commenting on this says this, it's on the screens. The nearness of our God is our good. And the trials we endure in this fallen world, perhaps more than most other things, have a tendency to awaken us to this truth. We remember Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, God with us, and the cross that he bore for our sake. We can learn to kiss the wave because Christ is near to us and supreme over all things. He died and rose again to vanquish evil forever. When there's nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can separate you from Christ's love, waves of trials can only throw you on to the rock of ages. Resting on that rock is where I'd like to be and stay forever. And may the Lord bless the means he uses to remind me of that. I want to invite our worship team to come forward now. I also want to invite those who are serving communion to go ahead and get the communion ready, and we'll take that here in just a moment. Friends, we can bless the Lord at all times in the midst of our suffering because of who our God is. We can know that he alone is our savior, our deliverer, our refuge, and it's only true and it's only made possible because of what God has done for us in Christ. This morning, we're talking about being shaped by suffering. There is only one truly righteous sufferer throughout all of history, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one who knows what it is to suffer when he did not deserve it. And it is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we can have hope this morning. I want to invite our uh, communion servers to come on forward and begin serving the elements. As they do that, I want to read a couple of passages this morning that remind us of Christ's suffering on our behalf. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, we read this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, 
we are healed. Take just a few moments to draw near to the Lord, to remember what God has done for us in Christ, to cry out to him if you're in the midst of suffering and to remember what he has done for us in Christ. And in just a few moments, we'll take communion together.